Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name's Dwayne Osterland, and this is episode 53. So this episode is brought to you by Novus Mindful Life Institute, Family Counseling and Recovery Center in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with any of life's difficulties, please reach out to us. You can find out more information about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. I want to see if I can get to 100 reviews. That would be really awesome. It's so wonderful to see that this information is getting out there and that people are finding the Addicted Mind podcast helpful and useful and enjoying the information and getting a lot of value out of it. So I really do appreciate it. If you're enjoying it, please rate and review us in iTunes. That's a great way to help the Addicted Mind podcast get some good exposure. And I really appreciate it. So I'm really excited to have our next guest on, Susie Wolfer. She's a dear friend and colleague, and she is going to talk about somatic experiencing and how it can help a person overcome trauma. So if you're a person who has struggled with trauma in the past, I think this episode is going to be enlightening in a way in which it can help you understand how somatic experiencing can help you resolve some of these deeper traumas. And I've had the the blessing of being able to do some somatic work myself. And I can tell you, it is a powerful modality that brings about therapeutic change in a really good way. So enjoy this episode and I hope you get a lot out of it. All right, everybody, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. 
Today, my guest is Susie Wolfer, and she is going to talk about therapy called somatic experiencing. Susie, you want to introduce yourself? Thank you so much, Dwayne. It's a pleasure to be here. So I've been a therapist for about 28 years. I've studied all kinds of different approaches, and I took somatic experiencing training about eight years ago, and it's kind of integrated everything I've ever learned. So I work with all kinds of clients, actually from around the world. And um, now I both see clients, I assist at somatic experiencing trainings, and I do uh, case consultation for a lot of somatic experiencing students. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. So what I want to do today is really help our guests understand what this, when we say somatic experiencing, understanding what that means and how that can help people. So let's just jump right in. And what is, when we say somatic, what does that even mean? Yeah, great question. Well, somatic simply means of the body. And the often therapy covers three areas, thoughts, emotions, and then sometimes body sensations. So in the, the training that I've received, studying neurobiology, basically, the body sensations are like gold because that's where trauma and stress and history is kind of stored. So when we do somatic therapy, we're listening to what the body story is, not just the thoughts and emotions. Which is different from traditional talk therapy because traditional talk therapy, we're just talking it through cognitively. Somatic is about the body. Yes. And when you do uh, like thought-based or emotion-based therapy, it can be very, very useful. Having those insights and understanding can, be, can give people quite a bit of relief, but you don't get the home run or the what we call organic nervous system regulation, where you just kind of feel good normally without having to manage things. When you say uh, like a home run in therapy, what, is that, what does that mean for somebody? You know, someone's coming in with a problem or maybe anxiousness or, or something or trauma, and you're saying a home run in, well, in this kind of... Yeah, it's a great question. There's kind of like, we see three or four stages in therapy. The first one is kind of stabilization, where you learn management strategy, you learn how to manage thoughts and emotions. You learn how to do better self-care. You learn how to have healthy pleasure. It's more of a top-down approach, though. And eventually, as you work more with body sensation and completing these historic events, what happens is the body starts running itself without us having to manage it. And that this sense of ease and flow, without so much energy being devoted to management strategies or trying to help your thoughts and emotions stay calm. So a person, let's say, so a person who has like maybe a lot of anxiety, they would come in and they're constantly trying to regulate their body somehow. Maybe that's where addiction comes in and they, and they use a substance or a behavior to try and modulate that or get that anxiety away. And what you're saying, once they kind of go through this process of somatic experiencing, then they, they don't have to so, so much actively do that, it's the body's and more in a natural state or a calm state. Exactly. When people come in for therapy, it's like they have this whole basement full of stuff that they don't know is there. Or maybe they know, but it's too overwhelming to go down there in the dark and clean it all out. But it's on their mind. It's taking up space. It's, it's communicating stuff. It's like when you clean your house out and there's order and beauty, you can just kind of sit back and relax and sigh, a sigh of relief. And so with somatic experiencing, it's a way of working with your biology 
to kind of clear out that backlog of stuff in the unconscious. The, we call it the implicit memory system. So this implicit memory system, it, it activates, and then we, we have a traumatic response of some kind. We may not even be necessarily conscious of it, but it's happening. And so somatic experiencing takes these old events and moves through them. Is that? It, it, the powerful answer is it completes them. And that's how you get a home run. So you're not, you can get to first base with thinking and managing emotion kind of strategies, but to get all the way around the basis to where you're home free, you might say, and you just have this sense of ease, it's really helpful to go back into old experiences that the body presents, not the mind, but the body presents and help them complete. Okay. Well, let's kind of go back a little bit because a lot of times, and I think in our culture and in our society, we say, well, time heals all wounds, but we're starting to find out that that's not necessarily true. Like a lot of these traumas can stay with us for years. Yeah, exactly. And so this helps the process of kind of moving through that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can kind of give you an example. I'm yeah, not... that'd be great. So when, I, when a client comes in, they will usually be talking and chit-chatting about their concerns or what's important to them. And as they're doing that, it's so interesting their body will be telling me a story. Sometimes it's the same story. Sometimes it's different. And so I'm watching all these different facial expressions. The, sometimes people's faces will pink up or, or they'll have little gestures with their arms or feet. And I'm kind of putting all that together. It kind of shows me a picture of what story the body is telling and what, what overwhelming stress from the past it wants to bring up. So there's a, a one client, well, she's probably about, 35 or 40, and pretty well getting along okay in life. And she had this particular gesture with her eyes. They would like, she'd just be talking about like her daughter or something, her art project or something, and her eyes would get like saucers. And it wasn't related to what she was saying. It happened consistently in every session. So once we kind of had a a sense of comfort and safety in our, our relationship, I invited her to notice her eyes, especially when a moment when she did that. And I invited her, if she liked, to kind of slowly open her eyes into that big saucer-like state. And I, when you learn this stuff, you learn to titrate or keep the tiniest little movement opens up a big change process. So she started to do that and I said, that's enough. That was just a little taste of this pattern that was unfolding. And so she went inside, felt her body sensations, and she started to feel anxious. And then her heart rate started increasing, and then her whole body felt this fear. And she just had the capacity to sit and observe that really, really unpleasant emotion and the thoughts that went with it. And she had a memory of falling down the stairs. And so we spent a number of sessions working through that. And after that, the the eyes wide open expression sort of softened a little bit. Wow. So so she was able to kind of have that experience and and see that this this trauma was kind of living in her. Exactly. You know, when we have a traumatic experience or the sense of overwhelming stress, what happens, it's like exposing a photo plate, like the old time photographs, you expose it to the light. And then that picture is in there. 
And that picture keeps saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't save myself, I can't help myself, I can't calm down. And then, because it mostly is held in memory so it can be completed or reworked or, as we say in SEs, renegotiated. So when those patterns arise, and they kind of have their own intelligence when they arise to be worked with, by observing the unpleasant, often body sensations, emotions, and thoughts, what happens is like a roller coaster, we call that activation, that energy gets stronger and stronger and stronger. But if you wait long enough and can observe it, it's like a roller coaster hitting that peak. And then it starts to come down. And that's when these experiences complete. And then they let go of us. Okay. And so when this client was able to experience this and notice this, what happened for her when she moved past this? It's just magical to watch. I'm even getting goosebumps right now telling you about it. It's so predictable. You'll see a client do a kind of a deep breath that you cannot do intentionally. It's like a whole body expelling or letting go. People will sometimes laugh or their eyes will water. You can hear the stomach going back into digesting again. We call it in the rest and digest phase. And there's just this, the whole body kind of lets down. It's just a beautiful thing to see. And sometimes even these people's cheeks will glow. Wow. So they're able to kind of get through this trauma. And I think a lot of us in our lives, we have a lot of unconscious things that keep us stuck. We might not even be aware or present to them until moments like these where someone is trained to be able to help us see it and walk through it where we can kind of transform that nervous system. Exactly. And what's relevant to um, working with addiction kind of issues is these things will come up and substances, behaviors, stories will help manage these patterns, but they don't complete them. And so then it becomes a vicious cycle of needing more and more and more of whatever it is to kind of get to some kind of stability. And then that causes the problems of what we know from drugs and alcohol and behaviors and all that. So this is, I would say, I think somatic experiencing is a newer therapy in the world of as psychotherapy has developed, right, and changed and grown, how was, how was, how did we start to learn about this? Yeah, great question. Well, Peter Levine, he's a a doctor, has a doctorate in medical biophysics. I'm not even sure what that is. And psychology. He's been studying in the, the realm of dealing with stress and trauma. And he discovered, well, he didn't discover, I mean, everyone knows it, that for some reason, prey animals don't get PTSD, yet they live in a world filled with serial killers and muggers, and, but they don't have the symptoms that humans are kind of plagued with. This overwhelming stress creates their, their systems to move into fight, flight, or freeze that's kind of stuck. So he's been studying the physiology of that, and there was a woman named... Nancy, who was referred by a colleague of his who had really severe symptoms like migraine headaches, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. She could hardly, her daily life was completely unfunctional. And so he met with her and he was just talking with her a little bit. And all of a sudden, he, Peter Levine is ama- he's has an amazing ability to see the whole physiological process like heart rate and respiration and all these subtle things. So he was watching that. And as he was talking with her, 
she, he saw her symptoms, like her heart went, went over went over 120. And he had this impulse to say, Nancy, there's a tiger in the room. Run, Nancy, run. And she was laying on, I think, a massage table. And her legs started kicking and her body started vibrating. And he, he sat there with her for about 40 minutes until these symptoms let go of her. And it turned out this was a response to having surgery at age five using ether. And this is a, about 25% of the people that have had ether as an uh, anesthesia have these like horrible flashbacks because you're oftentimes people are tied down to the table and forced to go through this basically an assault. So Peter said that he didn't have too many more sessions with her and she was able to resume her natural life. She, the, my, some of the physical problems went away. In a five-year follow-up, apparently almost all of her symptoms were gone. Wow. They let go of her. And that, of course, intrigued Peter as a scientist. And he started the body of work called somatic experiencing to understand how this works and how to best work with people to make it effective. Right. I mean, I think with uh, psychotherapy, we started with talk therapy and that did help people. But now we're really understanding how our biology plays into how we experience the world. And a lot of it is unconsciously happening. And so like for this client that he was seeing, it sounds like she had this early trauma that uh, was kind of locked in in her nervous system. And he was able to kind of free that, I guess, kind of open, yeah. open it up. Well, and many therapies open things up, but this helped it complete. That's a key difference in okay. somatic experiencing. Is, and we, what we do is we take little tiny bites of a, a memory usually, and, and it's like a little mini roller coaster ride. So the body remembers that it has this rhythm that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, where when people come in with anxiety, anger, depression, those states feel like they will never end, and people get full of despair or fear that they're going to always be like this. So talk a little bit about completion again, because I think that is really, really an important part of this, because you're right, we can open somebody up, but then they're open, and maybe it doesn't actually solve it for them. So talk about completion. Well, if you think of a roller coaster ride, you know, there's the, you get on the platform and everything's calm. And then this thing, if you're like me, I'm terrified of roller coasters, actually. So this car starts going up, 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 up. And what happens for people, this energy starts building up in them, sometimes fast, sometimes slow. But when it gets to a certain height or intensity or volume, that's when it becomes overwhelming and people will, will turn to drugs or whatever tool they're using but in this as we as people learn to have what we call capacity bandwidth they're able to tolerate these unpleasant emotions body sensations and sometimes thoughts but not getting caught in the thoughts but going back to sensation so as those feelings increase being able to observe them helps them reach what we call a threshold it's like the peak of the roller coaster so when you can observe this, they will eventually, hopefully quickly peak if it's a small enough bite you're working with, and then let go. What oftentimes people feel is if they're observing body sensation, when they're new at this, 
it feels like those roller coaster cars are going to go off the rails and it never feels like it hits that peak. And that's where having a, a therapist can help kind of modulate that. So you find peaks that are achievable. So when that peak reaches the apex and starts to come down, there's another thing that sometimes happens is some people find that when they're letting down, letting go, feeling better, that's when they feel most at risk. So as the therapist, I'm watching to see how they negotiate or work with the deactivation or the letting down feeling and help them complete that. And so what completion means is like the roller coaster does this whole trajectory and then it just goes into the platform where everything's calm and easeful and peaceful. And so that can be done with thoughts, with emotions, with body sensations. But the, the most powerful way is when we use sensation because that's where this, these memories, experiences are stored. Right, in the body. They're not just thoughts, they're in the body. And if they can complete those, then they're in a way, I would say, I don't know if done with it is the right word, but it's not as overwhelming. Yeah, and you do it in stages. So it's kind of like if you had a house that's just filled with stuff and you just take out an armload every day, you start to feel like your house is more spacious and beautiful and you can take a deep breath and enjoy it and relax. But when you have this, I think it's a good analogy, a house full of unfinished, overwhelming you know, experiences in life, it's like you can never relax, like something bad's about to happen. And I hear that a lot with people. They, they feel like they can't let down or they, or they can't act either. The biology of freeze. You know, yeah. And in addiction, I see that a lot. They're always, in a way, using that analogy of the roller coaster, they're, they're always on the way up, it seems, but they stop the way up with either a substance or a behavior and it never kind of takes its course, mm -hmm. it never completes, like you said. And so they, they just continuously take those emotions or modulate those emotions in unhealthy ways that don't really resolve it. Right. And if it's the case of someone who has low energy or you might say depression or what I call freeze, they need a stimulant to get out of that to feel like themselves. And that's when you use a lot of stimulants, you can go off the rails and then coming back down, it feels more like a collapse or a crash. And then it just starts the cycle all over again. Right. So either, either direction. So either if they're anxious, they're looking to come down. If they're down, they're looking to come up. And by using somatic experiencing, you're bringing them to a more natural, even state. Yeah. And I, even that language is a little misleading. I'm not bringing them anywhere, but I'm helping them observe their body's response to stress. So the body can do what it's been trying to do for their whole life sometimes and complete it. And then it lets go of them. Oh, okay. That's, that's a different way of thinking about it. Yeah. I'm just shepherding a process that but I love to, love to think about what Peter Levine gave us was a handbook for our human bodies. <laughs> right. We, we now understand more about how neurobiology works and how we can be free of this constant feeling of being distracted or depressed or anxious or angry and find that place like when the roller coaster comes into the platform of thinking like, I can do this. I can conquer bullies. I mean, if that's what your history is, there's a sense of I can rather than this sense of I can't. 
I need help all the time. Okay. And so it's very empowering. Very empowering. And I often see people feel better every single session because every session I am helping gently guiding clients to shepherd these processes that, all, that want to happen anyway. We're designed to be rhythmic beings. And everything on this planet is a rhythm, breathing in, breathing out, summer, winter. And our bodies want to have that rhythm restored. But when we're in chronic states of, states of fight, flight, or freeze, that rhythm is just kind of fixed. And we have to override it or just give into this sense of helplessness. Right. It's like, it seems like it's either rigid, a, a kind of a rigid feeling in the body or a, like you said, frozen state in the body and bringing it back to a more functional, allowing the body to get to that, that space. You got it. Allowing right. it. Yes, that's what we're doing. And the, the, the single most difficult thing to master and practice is meeting life's experience from the body. But what most of us do, we meet life's experience from the mind or the emotions. I'll give you a great example. It's something I use a lot with clients. I remember one gal who had just amazing, horrible levels of trauma from early childhood. And I had this, my office looks out on this beautiful forest and she would look out there and all she could see was danger. And it's these beautiful dug fir and cedar and maple trees. You know, there's raccoons and squirrels and birds flitting through there. It doesn't look dangerous at all. So I, I believed her, that her experience says, I am not safe and the world is not safe. And so she would look, look at that. And so what she gradually learned to do is to tolerate these unpleasant feelings and let them pass through. So one thing I did with her and many clients is I asked her, are you safe right now? And she said, no, I don't feel safe. I hear this from many, many clients. So then I asked the next question. You could do this at home if this is something you want to play with. Ask yourself, am I safe? And the, the answer is usually no, I don't feel safe. And I say, well, are you safe? And people have to think about that. And it's funny to watch how their body and their mind has to go some other place rather than referencing all the fear inside. And, and they'll eventually say, well, I guess I'm safe. You know, I'm not bleeding. There's no bombs coming down. I literally heard these things. And then I ask people, step three is, what are the, the data from your senses, sight, sound, taste, whatever all those senses are, what data from the outside is telling you that you're safe? And people will say, well, there's a gentle breeze in the trees or everything looks familiar or it's very quiet and still. And then step four is, then I say, when you notice that and you verify that you're actually safe, even though you don't feel safe, what happens in your biology when you actually notice that you're safe? And that's when they go into their bodies and notice sensations like, well, I can feel my sits bones on the chair or my breathing has slowed down a little bit because the confirmation that they're actually safe instead of telling themselves to feel better or do meditation or take a deep breath, they're confirming and letting their body have the experience of what safety is like. Because if they've been abused, especially severely, the messages from the body are that you'll never be safe. You can't take risks. You can't be successful. You're oftentimes there's shame associated with that. So this simple process, verifying 
the times that we are safe, which is most of the time, can really have a profound impact on shifting some of these historical patterns. If you're going to do it by yourself at home, for example. So this is really experiencing it in the body and the body knowing Mm -hmm. that it's safe, not just the mind. Yes, and in real time. And in real time, in the absolute moment you are experiencing it. Right. And so the, the mind is usually in the past or the future. So the present doesn't get a lot of attention or focus or juice. So when we actually verify in real time, in this moment, we're safe. I like to use the word we because we're mammals and the sense of we is so important. So when we are safe, ah, okay. That's a different biological state. Right. And what a blessing for a person who has been living in either depression or anxiety or addiction to be able to feel safe in the moment, in the present moment. What a gift. Mm-hmm. And just as the case, this is people try this and it's not working. The, the reality of safety and the feeling of safety sometimes takes a while to meet in the middle. Right. That feeling of not being safe can be very profound for some people. Yes, definitely. It's a little simple, easeful way to kind of move more toward safety when you're actually safe. Right. Well, Susie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about this. I think that's a great place to end our interview and on being safe and feeling safe because I think so many of us are seeking that in this world. And to be able to find that, I think is wonderful or to experience it, I guess. Yeah, so I experience it. Yes, both. So what would you want to say to anybody out there who is struggling? What would you want to tell them? I love that question, Dwayne, because I'm going to, I'm going to answer it. I see people tear up when I tell them this, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Your biology is trying to solve a different problem than your mind. That is great. When your biology goes into depression or freeze, it's trying to dial down overwhelm. When it goes into fight or flight, it's trying to be safe. But it doesn't feel that way until we learn to observe what the body's story is telling us and just listen, watch, observe. And in doing, anybody can do this. It's sometimes harder if there's a lot of trauma that we can collaborate and cooperate with our bodies. And it can be fun, actually. We can that's, have healthy pleasure as a result of that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. How can people get a hold of you? If they want more information about you or somatic experiencing, how can they get a hold of you? Well, my website is OregonSomaticTherapy.com. At the time of this podcast, it's uh, under construction, but by the time people find this, it may be finished. And you can also go to traumahealing.org to find somatic experiencing practitioner in your area. We have 12,000 practitioners all over the world. So there's somebody for everybody, hopefully. Oh, thank you so much for coming on, Susie. My total pleasure. Thank you, Dwayne, for making this possible. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. That was episode 53. Once again, you can find all the show notes at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 53. 
once again, you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. I want to see if I can get to 100 reviews. That would blow me away. So if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind, please rate and review us and um, write in iTunes. It would be great. So have a wonderful day and I will see you next week. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.